Okay, so we are going to start today in the book of Genesis. Um, I have to go through some background before I start a book of the Bible, especially for those of you who have been to Bible college. Bible college students get really upset if I just go right into a book and start talking about it directly. Uh, because they're taught you first have to study the background of the book, the author, the time, and, the, and they have it so ingrained in them that if you start without that, they get really, they, they just kind of lose track, they, they, they lose focus. But it's important also to establish this. So because this is a Bible study and not as much a sermon, but a Bible study, we have to set the stage for the, for the book of Genesis because we will probably be in this book for, for the next three or four years, is my guess. And we've done this before. We did, for example, the chronological life of Jesus, which took us four years to get through. So it was a study of all the Gospels put together. And, and, uh, uh, and all of that is on the Internet. So this will, we'll, this will start us in a new book, and all of this will be on the Internet. So if you're away, you can always catch up if you like. I'm going to be, uh, in addition to using the scriptures themselves, I'm going to be using two background texts, one by Arnold Fruchtenbaum and another by, by uh, Leon Cass. Both of them are Jewish. Uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum is a Messianic Jew, meaning that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Leon Cass is an Orthodox Jew. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but he has great insight. So I'll be using that uh, uh, as far as for some background. Uh, uh, the, the Hebrew name, the first word in, in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in Hebrew is Bereshit, which, is, which means it's one word and it means in the beginning. And that's why in our Bibles that Genesis 1, 1 says in the beginning, that is one word in the book of Hebrew, in, in, in the Hebrew language. And verse 1 is seven, ver- seven words. So you, you have this, this whole thing of completeness here. This book is probably the most studied document in all of human history. There is so much that is written about this. And so we're not going to belabor this. It's just this, this one time that we're going to be going through the background of this. But if you want to find writing on this, again, this book is the most studied document in all of human history this book in particular, and this chapter within this book. Uh, uh, and so originally in Hebrew, it was called the book of the Acts of in the beginning, because in Hebrews often, in, in Hebrew, they will often take the book and name it after the first or second word of that book. In Greek, it's called genoskos, which is the Hebrew it's the Hebrew equivalent of this word toldot, which means generations. And that's where we get this word Genesis or the book of origins. The author is Moses, though he's unnamed. <clears throat> so so uh, uh, why is he unnamed? Well, he's named in the, in the next four books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's not named in this book because he didn't live during the time period that this book was written. This is prior to his life, and, and, and a lot of it much prior to his life. So he was the transcriber, taking either from oral tradition or the compiler of documents. So his name is not specifically put on this book, but it's put on the next four books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, so, but the book of Genesis 
has been included in, in the Torah, the first five books, the Torah. The, these first five books of, of, uh, um, of the Hebrew Bible. It is from the Torah. A Torah portion will always be read in every synagogue around the world. This Torah portion will always be read every week in the synagogue. The Torah portion. And it's the same portion that's read in every synagogue around the world. Much like the Catholic Church will take a common portion and read it in every Catholic Church on that same day around the world. Same thing happens with the Torah. There's always a Torah portion that's read and then a complementary portion that's read from, from uh, uh, either the songs, the Psalms, or the prophets, as they're called. But the Torah has always embodied the entire law. Genesis was always viewed as the part of the first five books, the four that list Moses' name, plus this extra one. There's a lot of contemporary thought that, oh, Moses didn't write this book. In fact, some people say Moses didn't write any of those five books. They were written by a a group of rabbis when the, the Jews were in Babylon. That's not what Jesus tells us. That's not what we learn. So, so in fact, we have greater credibility that, that testifies of this because Jesus himself testifies of this. And just as we, we accept Jesus as our Messiah, we accept his testimony. The Bible confirms uh, Moses as the author of the Torah. In all of these portions here, so I just listed them out here, and I'm going to just name these off quickly because there's many people that listens to this on the internet. It's a huge list. Exodus 17, 14, Leviticus 1, verse 1 and 2, Numbers 33, 2, Deuteronomy 1, 1, Joshua 1, 7, 1 Kings 2, 3, 2 Kings 14, 6, Ezekiel 6, 18, Nehemiah 3, 1, Daniel 9, 11 through 13, Malachi 4, 4. Matthew 8.4, Mark 12.26, Luke 6.29, John 7.19, Acts 26.22, Romans 10.19, 1 Corinthians 9.9, and 2 Corinthians 3.15. All of those confirm that the Torah, this Torah, has Moses as the author. So there will be a lot of contemporary thought. You know, I was, I was in Israel recently, and they put this through some computer program, and they say... Oh, well, well, the book of Genesis was written by two different people. Our programs picked this thing out. Remember, we have a Lord named Jesus Christ, and we take his testimony as being true. The Torah has always include, included the book of Genesis, these first five books. And I want to look at one portion here, and this is in John chapter 5, the book of John chapter 5. And we'll see the testimony of Jesus Christ when certain issues arose. And, and uh, uh, John chapter 5, and we're going to start reading from, from uh, uh, verse 45. John 5.45 says this, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus himself speaking in John chapter 5 verse 5 says, Do not think I'm going to accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses because the one in whom you set your hope, he's going to be the one accusing you, he's telling these Jewish leaders. He said, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me for he wrote about me. 
Moses wrote about me, Jesus says. He doesn't say, there was a group of rabbis in Babylon during the first diaspora that wrote about me. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. We take the word of God as being absolutely true. I accept the word of God as being absolutely true. And if you don't take it as absolutely true, it is very hard to walk in faith because you're going to be excluding this portion and that portion. It was about a year ago that I was, I was uh, uh, talking with, with our, our brother Nabil Qureshi, who's gone on to be with the Lord. Many of you know him. And he had gone to Oxford and he learned all about this and all of these different theories about who wrote these, the, the, these books of the law. And, and, uh, and, and, and he said, I, I asked him how his reading was going. He says, you know, I'm always questioning the word of God and trying to critique it. I said, Nabil, it's going to be very hard for you to accept the truth of the word of God until you take this as being true. And I showed, brought him right to this verse. Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. Boom! Immediately when he saw that, he said, wow, I never noticed that before. Jesus said, if you believed in his writings, you would believe my words. You would believe my words. Jesus put the writings of Moses equivalent to his own words, and he called it the writing of Moses. And right after that, we got down on our knees together and he repented before the Lord. And that night he texted me. He said, I'm reading the scriptures and it is as if it's as if I were a brand new believer again. I, it's just like when I first believed. The Lord is just speaking to me so richly through the scriptures. If you want to hear God through the scriptures, we must take every word of this book as true. There will be people that will try to discredit this book over and over again in your life. And then they'll be disproven by some piece of architecture, uh, of archaeology that's found in something, some inscription. And then a new theory will arise to try to discredit this book. There is a reason why this book remains. Long after we are dead and gone, this book will remain. So if you think yourself so intellectual that you have reasoned yourself around this, you will be dead, this book will remain. This book is true. Jesus himself testified of the writings of Moses. They had. We have exactly the writings that Jesus was studying in the days that he lived on earth. The Old Testament studies. We have the Septuagint. We have the Mesoretic text. The very things that Jesus studied. And he is the one that confirmed this as the writings of Moses. He is the one. If you cannot believe the words of Jesus, then how can you believe him for your salvation? If you cannot believe the words of Scripture, how can you believe it for your resurrection from the dead? We are, most, we are all people most to be pitied if we cannot believe everywhere in this book. The writings are from the, the writings of Moses. What is the time of the writing? When was the book of Genesis written? Well, we know exactly when it was written because it says in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, that in the fourth year of Solomon's reign which was 480 years since Israel left Egypt. So it was during this period when Israel left Egypt in the wilderness, when Moses compiled the book of Genesis, as well as wrote the, the, the other four books of the Torah. And so we know exactly what the fourth year of Solomon's reign was. You go back 480 years. And once you go back 480 years from the fourth year of Solomon's reign, 
you get back to 440, 1446 BC. That's 1446 BC. And so the 40 year period that Moses wandered in the wilderness was 1446 to 1406 BC. That is the date that this was compiled. What's the theme of the book of Genesis? It's blessing and cursing. God chooses a nation through whom he would bless all nations. That's the nation of Israel. Blessing, the covenants to the patriarchs, uh, to the land and to their seed. There's covenants concerning the land and covenants concerning the seed. And the covenants concerning the land were reinstituted in about 1948. Prior to 1948, speak with older believers, speak with some of the older believers in this church who were alive in 1948 and adults in 1948. They're still around. Ask them if they ever thought that Israel would be reconstituted. They thought, no, no, nobody thought that. Yeah, there were lots of scriptures around it, but that's never really going to happen. That's way out in the future. Boom! Overnight, a nation is born by one vote in the United Nations. By one vote, all of a sudden... The land of Israel is established. The the British took that area of Palestine, which they had conquered, and gave it to the people of Israel to have a homeland. The nation was born in a day exactly as it was prescribed, exactly as it was written. Go ahead. Try to explain that away, you theologians who think you know so much. Explain that away. These prophecies come true. We know exactly when this was written and there was cursing He brought, is part of the theme too. God alienates, subjugates, and disinherits, such as expelling the Canaanites from the land. Good and evil is shown forth. Evil actions bring evil results and God's curses. Good actions bring good results and God's blessing. That's what we see in the, in the book of, of Genesis, but often it's not explicit. In other words... It's only a few times that somebody will do an evil act and God will call it evil. In general, in the book of Genesis, people do evil acts all the time and he never calls it evil. You just have to see the results working out in the person's life as a result of it. Or a person will do a a good act and you never see God saying, oh, that was a good act. You just see the results of that. He leaves this wide open for us to just look at the lives. This is what happens as you get older. You just look at lots. This is what I tell students. You know, students will tell me certain things or do certain things. And I know the results that their decisions are going to bring. And you say, well, how do you know? Your prophet has nothing to do with prophet, prophecy. It is purely because I'm a scientist and I track data points. I've just seen this before, the outcome of people's lives by the decisions that they've made. And because of certain decisions, I know what's going to happen. And I know that within a decade, they're not going to have the world by the tail anymore. Things are going to quite change. Their families are going to be all messed up. There's going to be lots of problems because of decisions that they've made. This is how he leaves it for us in the book of Genesis. He allows us to see lives in that way. There's certain divisions in the book of Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 11, verse 9 is the creation, the fall, the flood, and the outlining of the nations. It covers more than 2,000 years. Maybe much more than 2,000 years, but it's greater than or equal to 2,000 years. Verses uh, chapter 11, 10 through chapter 50, verse 26, he discusses one nation, and that's the Jewish nation. 
four people in particular, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, which covers a 193-year period. The geographical structure, chapters 1 through 11 are in Babylonia. Chapters 12 through 36 are in the land of Canaan, and 37 through 50 are in the land of Egypt. What's the nature of the book? It's primarily a historical book. There's some theological interpretation, but again, not that explicit. Leaves it, leaves it, the, the interpretation open to the reader to be able to see the outworking in people's lives. It's primarily a historical book. The purpose is to reveal the nature of God. God is living, He's sovereign, He's powerful, He's righteous, He's holy, He's good, and He's gracious. It gives us an understanding of who God is. Remember, this is the most studied book in all of human history. This is what we're going to go through. So you think you're, you know, you've spent a lot of time in your organic chemistry textbook. The amount of time that human beings have been studying organic chemistry is like nano-sized compared to the amount of time that people have studied this book of Genesis. You reveal covenant, covenants are revealed. Four of the eight covenants to humankind are revealed in the book of Genesis. There's parallel documents from that period in, in 1400 BC. There's parallel documents that we have. The Ugaritic literature, the Code of Hammurabi, Hammurabi is, is in about four, 1400 BC. And in there, you can see the customs of people and how those coincide with the things that were happening among the Jewish people that were being written in the Torah. The Ebla tablets, the Nuzi tablets, which were found in 1925, and the Mari tablets, which were found in 1933. All of those date back to the 1400s in B.C. Quotations. The Genesis is quoted or cross-referenced in the rest of the Bible more than any other book of the Bible. So the rest of the Bible quotes from the book of Genesis more than any other book in the Bible. It has enormous influence on the thought throughout the entire Bible. It, it's sort of like H-index. Do you know what an H-index is? H-index is sort of like citations. So, so how, how do you find out how famous a person is within the realms of academia? You look at how many people have cited their work. So you can't walk around and say, hey, I'm really famous, trust me. No, you look at how many people have cited their work. If people cite their work a lot, it means people have regarded their work enough to cite it. And, they, and, and H index is a way of scaling it so that if you've had one really highly cited paper that your name is on and everything else is not cited at all, it scales for that. It brings that number down because it says, well, you know, you got lucky with one paper or something. But, but uh, uh, so this is like, has, Genesis has the highest H index. It's cited, it's cited 165 times uh, 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 in the Bible, the book of, from the book of Genesis. 100 times of that 165 is in the New Testament. So the New Testament authenticates for us the book of Genesis. You see that as believers, we have a greater authenticity for the book of Genesis than Jews do. Because we accept the New Testament and the New Testament cites the book of Genesis or refers to it over, uh, over 100 times, right around 100 times in the New Testament. And... And uh, um, in fact, that hundred times is, is uh, uh, of that hundred times, six times 
is directly by Jesus from chapters 1 through 11. And of that hundred times, most of that is from chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis. The portion, chapters 1 through 11, that the critics want to get rid of is the most highly cited portion in the New Testament. Six times, Jesus himself quotes from chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Genesis. You want to throw that book out? You want to throw that portion out? I mean, this for us gives us high credibility of it. If Jesus were wrong on this, on the viability and the credibility of Genesis 1, chapters 1 through 11, then he can't be the Messiah. And you say, well, you know, chapters 1 through 11, this doesn't match up with science. Well, guess what? The book of Genesis has never gone contrary to any scientific fact. Never! It has gone contrary to scientific theories, but never to a scientific fact. The book of Genesis has never gone contrary to a scientific fact. It's gone contrary to scientific theories, and theories come and they go. Let me give you an example. The theory of the Big Bang. That there was an origin to the universe. The universe happened from some place, some instant, and there began the universe. And it exploded out, and we are in an expanding universe right now. That is a view among scientists which is widely accepted. Probably more than 99% of scientists believe that we have an expanding universe and have bought into the Big Bang. But did you know that in my lifetime, in my lifetime, that wasn't the prevailing view? In fact, the steady state theory was the prevailing view at the time that I was born. The steady state theory. That the universe did not have an origin. It had always been very much the Hinduistic type of view. That the universe has always been and that you have to be creating matter to keep it in this state. That was the prevailing worldview. It wasn't until the 1960s that data really started piling up. And then in 1964, with, with, uh, uh, where, where you saw this background radiation, this background microwave radiation in 1964, that really there was this, it started to shift. And then more work in the 1980s and 1990s that now the prevailing worldview is that the origin, that, that the universe has a definite origin. Exactly like the Bible says, that there was a place where the universe started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible was contrary to a theory of science that was the prevailing view of science, the steady state theory, which said the universe had always been. And the Bible was saying, no, the universe has a, a definite origin point. Guess who was right? So the prevailing view has changed. So it was not, in the cosmic microwaves had changed all that. And so, so you say, well, what about evolution? Well, some people can read, read into Genesis chapter 1, the theory of evolution, in saying, and after their kind, after their kind. Other people don't. But I will tell you, the theory of evolution is exactly what I just said. It is a theory. It is not fact, because nobody was there to measure it. Nobody has seen any change in gross body changes in any experiment ever. Yes, you can see small changes. You want to call that evolution? That's fine. But if you want to have gross changes, it's never been seen. And I've written a lot about this. Not a lot, but enough. 
You can go to my website, jmtour.com, go to the personal topic section and go to the evolution creation page and just read that page and a few of the links that I put in there and you'll have a good background to understand what it is, what there is in evolution and what there isn't. And I'm not here to, to disprove evolution. I'm not here to prove it. I'm just saying the Bible has never been contrary. The book of Genesis has never been contrary to any scientific fact. Theories come and go. And I'm telling you, within my lifetime, there is a prevailing worldview of the steady state theory on the universe that is no longer at all accepted. Theories come and theories go. We have to think about allegorical versus literal. Do we take everything that we read in the book of Genesis or any book of the Bible absolutely literally? And I don't think so. Some people say, well, I'm a literalist. If the Bible says it, I believe it. Okay, so let's look at that. Let's look at, let's look at, at, at Psalm 75. Psalm 75 verse 3. Psalm 75 verse 3. The earth and all who dwell in it melt. It is I who have firmly set it, set its pillars. It is I who have firm, firmly set its pillars. The earth and all who dwell in it melt. It is I who has finally, firmly set its. What's its earth? Earth's, earth's pillars. So does the pillar have earths? Uh, does the earth have pillars that it has been set upon? Does it? I ask you. Does anybody here believe that the earth has pillars that it has been set upon in the literal sense? Is there anybody here who thinks that the earth is the center of the universe and the, the sun in our solar system revolves around the earth? There was a time people believed that, but no longer. So if you, if you read this verse literally, you're going to be in some trouble. Look, look at... Look at uh, uh, First uh, Samuel two verse eight. First Samuel two, verse eight. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He has set the world on them. The pillar of the earth are the Lord's and He has set the world on them. You want to take every verse literally? It's going to be kind of hard. How about this one? Look in John. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And we're going to read from verse 9. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, how many people believe that Jesus was a door? A real door? No, he's obviously speaking allegorically, right? So even the literalist will concede that there are times that the Bible speaks allegorically. This is what we're talking about. So we, we have to study the scriptures and see. So the Bible has never, the book of Genesis has never been contrary to, to, uh, to anything that we see in, in, in the scriptures. Now, we could, we could, uh, we could jump right into the scriptures, uh, uh, and begin, begin to look at this. But before we start on Genesis chapter one, uh, I just want to touch upon one 
portion here and look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then down in verse, in chapter, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten fa- of the Father, through grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word. This Word is Jesus. He became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This predates what He did at the beginning. Because Jesus was at the beginning. Ta-da! Jesus is already here. He comes before the creation of heaven and earth. He's already there. In the beginning was the Word. It already was. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1 says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word... And, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He's already there. So you look back, this moment in time that the universe is just being created and Jesus is already there. He's already there. Here in John chapter 1, we have a glimpse of pre-creation of the universe and Jesus is there. He is our all in all. It is Him who has given His life for us. It is Him who has died for us. He became flesh, dwelt among us. His life is there for us. He died for us. This is the one who has died for us. Accept Him. Accept Jesus. Whoever believes on Him shall be saved, the Scriptures said. Whoever believes on Him, his sins are forgiven, the Scriptures say. Accept Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you've not accepted Jesus, come to Him today. Say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner and come into my life. Okay, we will start in depth next week on the book of Genesis. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Thank You so much, Lord, for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray for these young people, that they would understand that Jesus was God. He was with God and He was God and He became flesh. That He was already there at the start of creation. And Father, that they would believe on Him this day and say, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner. I believe Jesus. I believe He is God and He's come in the flesh. Father, draw these young people to you. And Lord, I pray your blessing to be upon these believers here, that they would learn to take the word of God as absolutely true, absolutely true, that your word is true, and that they would accept the word of God as absolutely true. And Father, through that, that they may hear your voice speak to them. For the glory of Jesus and in his name, Amen.